Hello, and welcome to the Spring Podcast, where socialist ideas take action. I am your host, Laura Conrad. The Spring Podcast is recorded from Mi'kma'ki, the ancestral and unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq people, and is produced by the Spring Socialist Network. Welcome everyone to today's episode. Today we have with us two co-organizers from Free Palestine Halifax. We have Katerina Nikas. This past federal election, she ran as a candidate for the Green Party of Canada. We also have Yara Yunez with us. She is from Haifa, Palestine and currently residing in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So to begin, could you please give us a brief background of your involvement in the liberation for Palestine? Tell us about Free Palestine Halifax, how it got started and how the movement has grown. Um, yeah, so uh, Free Palestine Halifax began in the summer of July 2020 um, with um, my four close friends. Um, when there are multiple movements happening um, across Canada, we noticed that there wasn't a strong presence in Halifax, so we decided to take initiative. And since then, um, the movement has exponentially grown. Um, and yeah, now we're here today. Um, and it's run by only the two of us. We organize the events and we, whether it's like postering, chalking, creating the webinars, um, it's just the two of us. That is amazing. Can you tell us some of the events that you've held and what the attendance has been like at those events? Well, um, it depends. Like when we're holding, it was hard for us to hold rallies uh, before phase five because we were always, because we were nervous about people being getting picketed and us being getting picketed and we were worried for people's safety. Uh, but like now we're planning for a march and we're happy we're in phase five. So we, we could actually have a full on like big event. Um, I noticed that people would see our mission here is trying to educate people about Palestine and, and not force the information on them because I noticed a lot of people don't even know where is Palestine and I can't force that information on someone because I will come off. I think, like, I believe I would come up as um, aggressive, basically. And especially with the media, the West media, Western media's um, coverage on Palestine, I have to do my job and educate people on the matter. So let's talk a little bit more about the Western media's bias in reporting um, the news in Palestine. This past summer, there were some stark examples of the Western media's bias in reporting the Israeli violence against Palestinians. Can you describe how that media bias shows itself and paint a picture of the reality of the situation? Well, I feel like personally, like, uh, the Zionist regime is very well well documented, even though it, our like Instagram or Facebook or, or the social media censors everything. It's very well documented and 
the problem here is not with the documentation of the apartheid state, but it's uh, with reporters and journalists who are afraid of Zionist backlash more than they care about sharing the truth and respect their own integrity. There's been um, journalists as well who've been fired uh, for their activism in university, um, who've worked for very well-known news outlets, um, and they've been um, branded as anti-Semites due to their past for advocating for human rights for Palestine. Um, So that's um, a huge um, pressure that happens within media to individuals individuals who are trying to advocate for change. Can you give us some idea on where the pressure on the media comes from? Where is the source of this bias and who is benefiting from the West's ignorance of the reality of the situation? I, it's the government. And lobby groups as well, um, which get a lot of money um from the government and uh vice versa um there's um benign breath um canary mission is another um lobby group which targets students who advocate for bds on campuses in canada and the u.s um yeah there's many pressure from lobby groups especially um and uh, yeah, I mean they have also trade agreements with countries, so it's just it's always the government. Yeah, we have a free trade agreement with uh, Israel, which um, basically it doesn't give any consumer rights to Canadians um, when they're buying a product and not knowing that it's coming from an ethnically cleansed territory. Um, So the government's making money off of all of this, uh, off of the whole uh, system of apartheid. You had mentioned social media being a really effective tool in helping grow the Free Palestine Halifax movement. How has social media exposed the West's media bias and do you see social media as having an important role in the fight for Palestinian liberation despite shadow banning and other forms of censorship? The only thing about social media being good is the fact that it educates people when uh, things are like uh, trending in Palestine. Like uh, around April and May was when everything happened was happening in Sheikh Jarrah and uh, there was two uh, journalists, uh, Muna and Mohammed Al-Kurd, they're twins, and they were sharing everything and documenting everything that's happening in their neighborhood in Jerusalem. And it did help a lot, but the thing is, sometimes Palestine and what's happening there is used as a trend. It's only being shared when everyone else is sharing it, but this has been going on for 75 years. And... um, Settlers are coming in, people's houses, um, ethnic cleansing, bombing, like Gaza. Um, Israel um, broke the ceasefire three times. And people just forgot about that because it wasn't trending. 
So the whole purpose, I would say, is just to educate people so they can actually know about what's happening. Because no, a lot of people that I met didn't even know what Palestine was up until what was happening in May. Can you describe, maybe just for those listening, what it is, the experience, what it feels like to um, maybe turn on the news and see the popular news media of Canada reporting their biased coverage of what's going on in Palestine when you yourself have um, you know, direct knowledge of what is actually going on and just sort of what, what that must be like. I don't think a lot of people could be able to relate to that. Um, would you share that experience with us? To me, at this point, it's more like each time I see it, it's not surprising for me. Because like even the use of language, so let's say um, when in um, uh, articles, I see the word um, Palestine-Israel conflict, when the word conflict is a very inappropriate word to use because you're talking about the strongest military and defense systems in the world versus an occupied people. Because this is not a fight by two, by two uh, different groups who have the same power. And even like... Uh, when there was the bombing on on Gaza, and I saw an article, I don't know if it was CNN or CBC, but it said 75 Gazan children are killed, are, sorry, 75 Gazan children dead, and two Israeli children are killed. The, the language that we, that they used in that, like, you say that the Israeli child was killed, but how about the 75 Gazan Palestinian children? How were they dead like why can't you just say they're both you know they're killed they're those are children and so your mission is to educate folks about palestine what is going on over there and i guess could you give us some idea of your vision of the future um by doing this work by educating people what are you hoping will change um in how the West is portraying what's going on in Palestine? Um, we're hoping that that more people who are allies will start to be joining the cause. Um, because most, most people um, who now are part of the cause um, are Palestinian or a few who do know about it. So we really just want to educate the general public, um, make it um, knowledge, um, and hopefully also get presence more so in mainstream media um, through activism, through workshops, through discussions. Um, yeah, it, creating a change in one person's mind means a lot to us versus a million so as activists we it, it still makes a difference to educate whether a few or many can you talk about what role the left media can play in the free palestine movement they can play uh quite a critical role, but unfortunately they haven't. Um, 
left media that or media outlets that we usually associate with the left, such as CBC, has uh, pressured journalists uh, to leave because they've signed petitions. Um, and um, other journalists have been fired, like I mentioned before, for their activism in their university days. Um, so I think the media can play a big role, but unfortunately, it's not doing um, its job of providing sound judgment and transparency. Um, so that's why we're just trying to educate as many people as possible and uh, get the voice of Palestine out. And so at your rallies and events, um, can you describe what, what it's like when you start talking to people and showing them the ways in which um, they've sort of been misled by the media and um, what that's like when people, you know, when they kind of have that change in mindset um, that you're talking about, which you're aiming to um, achieve by educating people about Palestine. Um, what is that like? I'm sure it must give you quite a bit of of hope for the future yeah sometimes it's uh really touching like uh one time we were doing advocacy work and we were talking and um we put one statistic where uh 1500 children um had been murdered um in the onslaught of the 2014 um gas war and a woman didn't know um, anything about the situation. And she just had, she had a rose in her hand and she dropped it on the number 1500. And um, I'll always remember that. I thought it was very touching um, when she realized what was going on and she just slightly dropped the rose on the ground and left. Um, so things like that stay with us, just one person Mm -hmm. um, coming to that realization and then giving their solidarity. Yeah, because one person can tell the other and that's how it spreads. Could you describe your vision of the future for a liberated Palestine and what needs to happen in order to achieve it? Obviously, educating uh, the general public about what's going on, uh, but any Anything else that needs to happen in order for that vision to come true? Um, stop the, well, a lot of people don't know that their tax money is going towards funding the, uh, the violent racist state that Israel is. And the fact that people don't even realize where their money is going and then continue on funding it. And that's not like... That needs to stop and support from MPs and government officials. That's what we need. We need um, someone in the government to actually do something and say something. Not actually say something, actually do something. Someone like, I would say, uh, I don't know if you know Dimitri Lascaris, um, because of his support for Palestine, all the media outlets started calling him anti-Semitic. And he was running to be the leader of the Green Party of Canada. He actually came second next to Anime Paul. Um, but right before the leadership race, the night before Global News and multiple outlets had published um, 
his background and his uh, human rights work with uh, Palestinians and just labeled him an anti-Semite. So um, I think having someone who uh, is fearless. fearless and won't back down to the pressures of the government, the economy, and uh, society. The thing is, is like the world's anti-Semitic is used for anything. Like when people who are ignorant about what's happening in Palestine and then they hear you talking about the liberation of Palestine and someone calls them anti-Semitic, they immediately think of, you know, the... Because that's what it was used. They immediately think of religion and they immediately think about the Holocaust and how what happened to the Jews that gave them the right to do this to the Palestinians. So that's the problem. The word word anti-Semitic is just used as a tool to protect them. And is that um, something that, is that a common experience for Canadian politicians who do speak up? against what's happening that they are labeled anti-semitic and um that the media kind of attacks them for that and tries to uh, diminish their credibility yeah um currently there's um an international holocaust um the IHRA definition, which is going to be um, an internationally recognized definition of anti-Semitism. And actually, if you look up this definition, um, many of the tenets that fall under it are just criticisms of Israel. Um, so if you hold a Palestinian flag and fight for the right of Gazans, you are essentially anti-Semitic. Um, and this is something that is being endorsed uh, by politicians. Um, Doug Ford endorsed it. Uh, and Ray Paul. Then um, Francois Ligat um, endorsed it. Uh, and Ray Paul endorsed it. Um, Justin Trudeau. So, um, yeah. That's what happened uh, with Janice Atwin. She was in the Green Party and uh, she was... Um, in the Green Party and the office of Anime Paul uh, called her anti-Semitic and um, they basically pushed her away to join the liberal team for her support for Palestine. Like she was just painted as anti-Semitic for her. Yeah, Noah Zaxman, Anime Paul's senior advisor, was calling Jenica Atlin um, an anti-Semite um, and pressured her completely as a young woman in politics. Um, and I honestly, um, as someone who's from a small community, she wanted to create a lot of change for her town. So I I don't hold any like, malice for her because I think she really did get a lot put on her, especially as a woman in politics. Personally, I ran in the election, and it's much different for women compared to men. Um, so, yeah, that was a huge issue that also the mainstream media hasn't mentioned when it comes to anime polls leadership. The issues within the Green Party in the leadership race, they don't mention Jenica Atlin and what uh, Paul and her advisor did, which is a huge 
discrepancy issue, I think. Could you each tell us what keeps you going in your activism work, where you draw your strength from, and how you practice self-care? Um, honestly, for me, it's because like I have someone else doing it with me. We have each other. It gets very, very hard when you're constantly advocating and you see a lot of hate around you and there's no one else helping you out. So like um, a couple of days ago, me, Katerina and I were like chalking to advertise for the march. And today I just see like uh, people like someone scribbled over the chalk and like basically like removed it. Like you, um, and that discourages you. But then when, like I say, Katerina tells me, oh, we're going to go back out and we're going to do it together again. That helps you to keep going. I would agree with um, Yara. I think um, even um, a lot of my, when I started the organization, um, a lot of my friends actually left the city. So in January, I actually had um, almost shut it down and uh, because I was getting personally attached. And then when I met Yara and we became good friends and had each other to support, um, I felt much stronger and that I could continue. And yeah, it makes a difference. And a lot of Greek, like anti-austerity rap. that's amazing um what would you say to any young um, activists throughout canada throughout north america who are engaging in the same work that you're doing and up against so much everything that you've talked about in this episode um, what would you say to them to keep them to keep going and not give up? Use your head. Don't be emotional. A lot, it gets very easy. It's very easy to get emotional and then act a certain way and say certain things to people who do not know what's happening in Palestine. Therefore, it gives the image of, uh, let's say, if I go around being angry, that will just prove the media's image of me being, I say, aggressive, barbaric, and all of that. And that's not my intention. My intention is to educate people and not force what's happening um, onto them. So never use your emotions and just constantly use your head when you're acti- uh, doing activism. Yeah, I would agree. I would say just to keep try and keep your calm and um, especially when you're thrown hate, um, because that is a part of the fight for rights that we've had to accept. Uh, there is going to be a lot of hate, but trying to filter that out in the healthiest way possible and not react to it, I think. Um, and that also, a lot of other people think the same as you. You just don't hear them or see them. Um, so you just really have to believe that. Uh, because we're all sitting behind our computers and hitting likes and not really talking to each other all the time. Um, So you just really have to use your imagination and hope for the best and have positivity. 
Yeah, take a mental break every now and then because you will see, like, when advocating for Palestine, you will see a lot of disheartening videos, like um, pictures, dead children, and that will just mess with you. Yeah, activism burnout is a huge thing um, amongst advocacy groups. Um, So just taking a break and shutting off completely um giving yourself the benefit of the doubt when you don't want to read the news for a couple days um yeah and just always taking care of your genuine uh your well-being and i think also eating well is a huge thing as well um yeah thank you so much for that what calls to action would you suggest for anyone listening who wants to get involved in the free Palestine movement? Simple things that someone can take that maybe has never taken any kind of political action before. Just if you educated yourself about Palestine, tell someone who doesn't know about Palestine, you know? Just if you let one person know and that person lets the other person know, you're spreading awareness basically, even if it's just like sharing on your Instagram stories. And then, of course, like, sometimes you're going to lose followers and lose friends, because we live in a time where saying the word Palestine is very, very, very difficult, especially, let's say, for me here, saying the word, word Palestine or saying that I'm Palestinian, it's not an easy thing. Like, I've had people just tell me, why don't you just stop telling people that you're Palestinian and make it easy for everyone else? Make it easy for you and everyone else because you're just giving yourself a hard time, you know? And that's probably an easy way to filter out all the friends that you don't need in your life. Um, <laughs> to be totally honest. Um, but yeah, um, and I think signing petitions um, is a huge thing that you can do if you're not, because also um, I was talking with my friend about this and she's quite an introverted and quiet uh, person and is a homebody and she doesn't like to be in big groups. So there's different um, forms of activism that everyone can be involved in. And it's not just rallying on the street and screaming. Um, there's many different um, forms that uh, you can do. Like, yeah, I hope that sufficed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Sufficient. Yes. So, where can folks listening today find you? Could um, could you share your social media um, handles um, that people could follow? Well, the first one is, of course, our Instagram. It's uh, free, F-R-E-E, Palestine, P-A-L-E-S-T-I-N-E, Halifax, H-A-L-I-F-A-X. And uh, my personal account is A-Y-O-U-N-E-S, Y-Y, period, underscore. And um, my Instagram handle is just um, my first name and my last name together, which is uh, Katerina Nikas. Um, yeah. 
and uh, thanks Perfect. for having us. Thank you both so much for taking the time to be on our podcast today and for sharing um, what you shared with us. And um, I am very grateful for the work that you both are continuing to do. Thank you, Thank you so much. Um, we really appreciate you too. Uh, and your support and solidarity. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Spring Podcast. To learn more about Spring, visit our website at springmag.ca. We welcome your feedback. If you have questions or ideas for future podcast episodes, you can send us an email at info at springmag.ca. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, or review this podcast.